can you imagine walking 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with your eight-month pregnant bride? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like Joseph gets enough credit for that journey across the desert. But we'll discuss that here in a little bit. Or what about Mary? A young girl, probably the same age as many of our FP students, when she gets a visit from an angel. What would you do? How would you respond to getting that type of news? Or David, the hero, or probably better described as an anti-hero for you Taylor Swift fans when you look at the whole, when you look at the whole story of his life. But when they heard the news that God had chosen him to be king when he was just a young shepherd boy, imagine the love they must have felt. Imagine how much they must have thought and knew that God cared about them because he chose them. That love, that, that desire, that pursuit, that is a love that you can't live for, but it is a love that you can live from. As we start this journey this weekend through the places that are significant in Jesus' coming to earth to be Emmanuel, God with us, let me ask, who is guiding the journey of your life? And where is your journey taking you? Is it taking you on a path where you're trying desperately to live for someone's love or for God's love? Are you living from a place of being loved? Because this love from God, it's not one that we have to live for. It is the one that we get to live from. As we're all taking next steps, and we're all on our way somewhere, all of us are going somewhere, all of us are on our way. When was the last time that you stopped? If you have ever stopped and asked yourself, who is leading this journey that, you're, that we describe as our life? our decisions, our relationships, our hopes, our dreams. Who's guiding, who's directing that journey? I wanna encourage you as a fellow person on this journey that it is so much better to intentionally pick your bride or your, your, your guide than to wander aimlessly. Or worse, to pick a guide who's gonna take you on a journey that you never wanted to go on to places that you never wanted to be. And I wanna encourage you, it would be our honor, I really do mean it when I say, it would be our honor to walk with you on your next steps. That's why we have something here called Next Steps, and we would love for you to come. Your purpose is our passion, what God's called you to do and who he's called you to be and what he wants to do in and through you. That is what we desire to walk with you in. I cannot wait to see what God is gonna do this weekend. I really do believe there's gonna be so much transformation. So let's start in the place where we experience the most transformation and let's pray. God, we come before you right now and God, I, I'm just so excited about what you've done all weekend. I'm so excited about what you're gonna to continue to do. But I pray for humble hearts in this service online. We're gonna to come to a moment where we get to make a decision and God, I pray that we would make a decision to honor you, no matter how scary it might be, no matter how much concern we might have, no, ma no matter how many questions we don't know the answer to, that we would honor you and make you the Lord of our life, and not just in a one-time prayer, but in a lifestyle. As we honor your journey, Jesus, 
Would you take us on the journey that you've called us to live as Christ followers and you as our King. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Who's excited to be in church this week in all of our campuses? I hope you're excited to be here. We're gonna have an amazing day. Welcome to all of our campuses. Welcome to you guys watching live or later online. Hey, uh, we also wanna welcome God Behind Bars, which is our campuses that are in correctional facilities. But I just wanna encourage something, this is so exciting. A few weeks ago, we did something called Heart for the Harvest, which is where we gave a free will offering towards things that God is doing at Faith Promise, local partners, and around the world. And God Behind Bars, there were three times the people who get, who've ever given at Heart for the Harvest. So way to go, guys and girls. That's amazing. We're so proud of you. It's awesome. I also want to take a moment to just celebrate what God did in Heart for the Harvest. Even in these unsure political times, these, these, these kind of, hey, what's going to happen economic times, you gave more than ever a record heart for the harvest with $2.2 million. Can we just celebrate that? That's amazing. I actually want to tell you a little story. I love Revelation 12, 11. It says that we will overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I'm so big on testimonies. I think it's huge. That's why I think you should share your testimony and share Jesus's. But uh, whenever we started our Heart for the Harvest series, uh, I, I did a message about a free will offering. And I read an email that I got from somebody at our church, amazing woman of God, who happens to be a widow. And she sent me, and I read it to you, but she sent me an email that said she was going to give $2,000, which was a stretch. But after the sermon and we talked, she felt called to give $3,750, which is a number I challenged our kingdom builders with. And, and she was going to stretch for that. And she was concerned because of some surgeries and because of Christmas and some of that. And there are times when we stand up here, maybe I'll stand up here, or dad stands up here, and we will preach, and maybe we sound really confident, and maybe we look like we were very sure. But when I read that email, my stomach was in knots. I was like, oh my gosh, is this the right thing? Should I tell her not to do that? And I bet there was at least one person, one camp's thinking, that dirtbag, I cannot believe he's gonna steal from her. I cannot believe that. And I'm, I'm just wondering about all that, but God. I got an email from her last week and she said, hey, I just want to tell you what God did. She said, I gave that, that offering, which was $1,700 more than she had planned. I gave that offering and on Monday, uh, a, a coworker comes up to me and hands me an envelope. And she said, just promise me you'll say yes. And, and this, this, this uh, the, the widow, the woman of God who comes here, she does a lot of work for her office. So she just thought it was a job that they wanted her to do. So she took it. She said, of course, I say, yes, I'll do that. And then she walks away. About an hour later, she gets some free time to work on what she thinks is a project. And she opens up the envelope, and it's a check for $1,000. And so she runs and chases that, finds that coworker. She's like, hey, there's no way I can accept this. She said, nope, you promised you would say yes. No taxi backsies, it's already been promised. So that's on Monday. On Tuesday, she goes to dinner with her, her sister, and they're just talking. And her sister says, hey, I know this is random. I just feel like I'm supposed to give you this $100. And she said, no, I can't take that. And she said, no, you're always doing stuff for other people. I just, I just feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. So that was on Tuesday. On Wednesday, she forgets to check the mail. Some of you guys don't know what mail is. At the end of your driveway, there's this box. This tiny white car comes by and throws stuff in there. I'm not really sure what happens. 
They call it mail, who knows? But she forgets to check the mystery box on Wednesday. So on Thursday, she goes out there and checks it and finds a check in there for $550 from a, a, a bill that was overpaid or a rebate or something like that. But she just sent me an email and maybe she thought it was for her. Maybe she thought it was, hey, God just wanted me to tell you that, hey, I doubted, but, but, but he came through. But for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I was doubting. I'm so glad that God came through. So one more time, can we celebrate all the people who gave generously? It's amazing. Thank you. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, hey, and we do not give just so we get something back, right? That's not always how it works. Mom and dad gave their biggest gift ever. And then the Jeep blew up. And that's probably because they're sending dad's life. But we're not going to talk about that. That's a different sermon. We'll talk about that another time. But I do believe that God is so proud of us. I believe that God is so honored. And I just want to give you this narrative. Let's be trusted with this so that God can trust us with revival. Listen, money is something and, it's, and we want to honor it. We want to take care of it. We want to be good stewards. But something we want to be entrusted with is so much more powerful and so much more important is revival and the eternal stewardship of people's souls and families. I'm telling you, our God is not common. Our God is special, and he is worthy of all that we have. But let's be honest. There are some times where God just seems common. There are some times where God just doesn't seem so special. I mean, let's be honest this weekend. I bet we've all been there, or at least we have lived lives that reflect that we think that God is common that he's not that special, that maybe he's not worthy of all that we have or all that I can give. I know that I've been there, but I don't think it's just me. Going back to the video, we talked in the video, it talked about a young man named David who had gone to be King David, and he is a major character in what's called the Old Testament of the Bible. That's the first part of the Bible. Actually, Christmas splits the Bible between Old and New Testament, right? And David is a main character in the Old Testament before Jesus. And God called a prophet named Samuel to go anoint David to be king. But when he did that, David was just a shepherd. David was out in the field watching sheep. And it was a lowly job. Those guys weren't even allowed to testify in court. They, they, they weren't believable. They weren't trustworthy. Listen, there was nothing special about David when he was anointed to be king. All of his brothers were more special, more qualified, more suited than he was. But you know what I've been wrestling with? That's exactly what God wanted. Someone who was not special in the world's eyes. Actually, you know this? I think this is worth noting. You know when David fell into sexual temptation, which I believe there's people this weekend who are struggling with that? When David fell into sexual temptation and into murder is actually when he started to think he was special. When the kings were supposed to be at war with their armies and he said, no, not me, not this time. I'm gonna stay here. You know, to be totally candid, I probably shouldn't share this part of the message until the end, but I wanna make sure that I get it across to you. I have something I wanted to confess this weekend, that I have had an idol in my life. I have had the idol of wanting to be special. 
I've recently realized that because of some things I struggled with when I was younger, that I've been working as hard as I can to try to convince myself and to try to convince others that I was special. And when I would get into a bind, when I would get squeezed, it was killing me that that is what mattered so much to me. And with me and Rachel succeeding mom and dad to lead Faith Promise, the pressure that's been, that's been going on, it's caused me to realize how much I desperately wanted, not just to be special, but for people to see me as special. It actually went so far, I'd convinced myself that for God to accomplish the vision that he has put on Faith Promise, which is to win the world by equipping Christ followers to win their world, starting with 1% of Tennessee, I'd convinced myself that if I wasn't special, there was no way that that could happen. There was no way that God could bring that to fruition if I wasn't special. I realized that there was a part of my journey Lies that I believed when I was younger that were still guiding me, that were still leading me. And it was causing me to strive in desperation to make other people and myself see me like I wanted. This is a little uncomfortable, isn't it? This maybe feels weird. And I know that you love me. And other people at Faith Promise who've actually grown up or watched me grow up and watched me kind of just grow up here on this stage. And I bet you there's people right now that you're fighting for me in your heart and in your mind right now. And you're thinking, no, Zach, you are special. Zach, you are called. And hey, I agree that I'm called. And I agree that me and my wife were suited to take Faith Promise. And your empathy comes from a good place. You can even find scripture that backs up that empathy. But I had an idol in me of me being special that at times it was the most important thing to me. And that will never be okay. God, his love, his salvation, and the mission will always be the most important thing. But I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that this idol has gotten into. I want to zone in because the devil is so crafty. He's so tricky. You and I, we are made in the image of God. And if we're not careful, we will start to imagine ourselves as God. It's so close, and the devil twists it. And God wants to set us free. I'm telling you, set us free. But listen, he wants us to be free, but there's something that I believe that God, it matters even more to God, and that's that his kingdom comes here on earth, that his kingdom would be set free here on earth. I believe that God wants to see you personally, but your marriage and your family and your neighborhood and our state and our nation to see, to see restoration, to see revelation, to see revival, to see healing, to see unity, to see people coming together, to see the poor, poor people having somewhere to go, to seeing people who are downtrodden, to have people to love on them. I think that God wants to see his kingdom set free here on earth earth, but his people have to serve his kingdom in our hearts, in our life first. 
So what I want to do is I want to pray another prayer. And I want to pray, this one's a prayer of humility. In these next few minutes in this message, I want to ask that, that as we come, because we're going to come to a decision point today, that we would be humble in that decision point. That we would honor God with what he calls us to do and where he calls us to go as we follow the example of Jesus in his humility. Let's pray together. God, we come before you again. And Father, we just ask for humility. God, it's an odd deal. It's against the American dream and the American pursuit to see something else as more special, to see something else as more important than ourselves, than our hopes, than our dreams, than our thoughts, than our internal narratives. But God, whenever we became citizens of heaven, when we became your sons and daughters, we aligned with your inheritance, with your heritage, with your kingdom, with your reality. Would you transform us? What a better way to end the year of transformation than be transformed into your likeness this weekend. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would never be the same. Why, how crazy is it that we would come into your presence and not expect to leave transformed? You are the God that spoke the Son into existence so you can speak transformation into our life. Will we obey? Will we surrender? Will we walk in it? Yes, God, we will. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Because hey, listen, if there was ever someone in history who deserved to live a life of being special, it would have been Jesus. However, look at the humility in his journey, specifically around Bethlehem, where he was to be born. Again, Mary and Joseph, they would have had to walk 80 miles. Listen, me and my wife, Rachel, we have three kids. And Valor's the youngest. And Valor was going to be born in July. But let me just tell you this. We, we, like, we have a special way we like to have our kids. We like to schedule it. We like to induce it. And we like to have drugs involved. That's just us. Doesn't have to be you. But that's how we like to do it. And by we, I mean Rachel. Okay? But, but either way, I'm there. So I feel like I'm a part. Right? Well, we went, uh, Rachel says that she's in labor, and I don't know, guys, you, if you've been there, you don't argue with that. You're like, sure you are. Let's go. Let's get there. And so we go, and uh, Rachel's telling the lady, hey, I'm in labor. The lady checks her out, and she's like, hey, I'm not sure if you're far enough along for us to admit you. And Rachel's like, hey, I'm, I'm in labor, okay? This is happening, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing, men, what you do. And I'm just like, Lord, don't let her get mad at me for this. I mean, I was a part of something nine months ago, and I don't regret it, not one bit. I do it. I plan to do it again, right? But I was like, God, this part's not my fault, right? And so, uh, and so the lady's like, hey, you're going to have to come back in an hour to make sure you're in active labor. And so it's hot. And so me and Rachel have to walk around UT Hospital to make sure that she's in labor. It's hot outside. We got to walk outside, walk upstairs. Listen, my bride is amazing. Rachel is awesome. But Rachel's not what you would, she's not what you would call outdoorsy, okay? I like to go to the gym. That's not Rachel. We have to walk. She has to do squats. She doesn't do squats when she's not pregnant, much less when she's pregnant, all right? And, and I've, I'm, I'm her husband, so I have to be with her, right? And so we're walking around, and she's like, Zach, I got to do some squats. And I was like, okay, tell me more about that. And she's like, hold on to my arms. So I'm holding on to her arms, and she's squatting. Getting down there, right? And I'm like, we're going to have this baby right here. Babe, those are nice jeans. We're, gonna have to, we're like, what, what are we supposed to do here, right? 
It's so hot. Listen, they had to walk 80 miles. Let me tell you this right now. If, if Rachel was supposed to give birth to Messiah, he'd have been born in Nazareth. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> My man, Jesus wasn't making it to Bethlehem. But hey, Mary was supposed to be special, right? She was a young lady. An angel came to her in Luke 1 and said that she would give birth to the Messiah as a virgin. That's so special. Yet we see them walking and suffering in humility. The reason is because it wasn't about them. It was about making God special. In Luke chapter 2, we, we, we read that they have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of a census. The reason they have to take this census is because the Romans were taxing the Jews. And you may not like taxes. Let me go ahead and guarantee you, the Jews hated getting taxed by the Romans way more than we hate getting taxed today. Yet Joseph and Mary were humble and went to be counted so that they could be taxed as well. The reason was because we will see because of that obedience, it ensured that prophecies were fulfilled, again, making God special, not making them special. Think about where they were headed. They were headed to Bethlehem where Jesus would be born, a small, obscure city. Why not Jerusalem? Jerusalem, that was the center of worship for the Jews. Or hey, why not Elon Musk this whole situation and make Jesus be born in Rome? Right? That would have really shocked the world. In Rome, made it, made it the center of the world at that time. No. It wasn't about a city being special. It was about God being special. Now think specifically about Jesus in his journey to earth. How special should it have been the savior of the world of eternity being born? You would think it should be special, but he was born in a barn. Can you imagine you having your first child? You've never had a child. You've never been a part of this situation. When the doctor handed me a leg, I about passed out. I'm in a hospital room with doctors, nurses, and drugs, and I barely survived. They're having to have Jesus in a barn. Just Mary, Joseph, animals, and soon to be Jesus. It's because his earthly entry was not what mattered most. It was not what needed to be special. What needed to be special was his eternal redemption that he came to offer. That's what was special. Now, is it special that Jesus being born by a virgin fulfilled a prophecy that in Isaiah chapter seven that was written 700 years before he was to be born? Yes, that's special. Is it special that him being born in Bethlehem fulfilled a prophecy in Micah 5? Yes, that's special. Is it special that in Jeremiah 31, there was a prophecy that Herod would kill all these babies and there would just be a desperate cry from the Jews because someone had massacred these babies? It's special that this was prophesied before. Is it special that there are zero prophecies about any other divine figure in other religions, not about Muhammad in Islam, not about Joseph Smith in Mormonism, not about anybody in Buddhism or Jehovah's Witness. Not, there's no prophecies about divine figures being born, only about Jesus. Is that special? Yes, that's special. Is it special that Caesar Augustus was, born, was, was living at the same time as Jesus, potentially the most 
powerful person who had ever lived on earth up until that time. And yet 2000 years later, you know the only time you ever hear about Caesar Augustus is if we're talking about Jesus. It is special that he had all this power in a palace and Jesus was born in all this humility in a barn and yet he has still impacted not just the world but will continue to impact eternity while Pilate or while Caesar's dead. His contribution's a salad. <laughs> Are those things special? They're special. I don't know, that just came to my mind. Are those things special? Sure. Yeah, I believe this weekend what the Holy Spirit wants us to see as special is Jesus' humility and intentionality from being born, his earthly entry of this journey in a Bethlehem, in a barn, to the end of his earthly journey on a cross. Think about how his life is bookended with such humility because God, Jesus wanted us to know, wanted the people there to know, wanted eternity to know that he believed that God and his kingdom was the most special thing about him. What about you? What about me? What about this church called Faith Promise? Will we live lives where the most important thing about us is making God the most special thing about us? Even if it means parts of your life are lived from a barn or are sacrificed on a cross. Let me ask you, what is it in your life that you're holding on to because it makes you feel special? Maybe it's, maybe it's being right. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's a relationship. What is the Holy Spirit prompting you right now that you're holding on to because it makes you special? And hey, it doesn't have to be positive. It doesn't have to be that, hey, I'm rich, or it doesn't have to be that, hey, I'm liked or I'm funny. It could be that you're still holding on to that you were betrayed when you were younger, or that you believe that you're dumb or that you're lazy or that nobody's gonna love you or you'll never be enough, and you're holding on to these things and you're striving because of what makes you special. What we're coming to right now is what I call a rich young ruler moment. See, whenever Jesus was doing his ministry, he met a young man. We don't know his name. We just know that he was the rich young ruler. And Jesus looks at him eye to eye and says, hey, hey, sell everything you have and follow me. And I believe they looked at each other and there was a moment of silence and both of their eyes filled with tears. And the rich young ruler turned his back on Jesus because he wanted to choose what made him special right here being a rich young ruler. It says, for he had many possessions, so he didn't follow Jesus. And Jesus is over here. You know what Jesus' response was? It wasn't pride. It wasn't arrogance. It wasn't Jesus saying, look at this greedy, selfish, reprobate. It says that Jesus wept. Right here in this moment, I don't want you to feel guilt so you build up your pride and say, no, I'm not letting it go. Will you feel the tender love of Jesus right now asking you, please let it go? Will you put down 
what you've always thought was your earthly special to showcase God's eternal special. It's the most special thing about us. And this is the special that our world so desperately needs. We can do it today. So I'm gonna pray for us. And here's what I wanna ask you to look, capture in your mind. I want to ask you, I wanna ask you to imagine that thing that you've held on to to make you special. And I wanna ask you this weekend to leave it. We're about to have a special moment of worship. I wanna ask you to leave it. There's a freedom. Hey, listen, us being special, it's so stoppable, right? Well, I, there's been so many things I've wanted to believe about myself and then somebody can come and offhanded comment, or even on accident, and rob what I'm holding on to. But if we would hold on to the fact that God is special and our Savior and His love is untouchable and nothing can take it away, that is unstoppable. Please enter into this assurance that God has more for you. God, we come before you right now. And God, whether there's people in the room who've never given their life to Christ, there's people in the room who they, they've been following Jesus for forever and that's all they're holding on to. But God, I just ask that they would hold on to their purpose, Jesus, that you are the most special thing, that you, it's you, God, that you love us, that you care about us, that that is what is so special, that, that we are your children, that we're chosen, that we're bought with a price, that nothing can take that away from us. God, please set us free today from whatever we're holding on to that's earthly and let us grab onto what's eternal. God, we love you. And we ask for transformation in this moment. In your precious name we pray. Amen.